1: It is really hard to believe we're down to the final weekend before November 3rd, the final day in which people can vote uh, in the 2020 general election cycle. I cannot imagine that there is anyone out there, with very few exceptions, who isn't just really eager to get this thing over with. I realize that we're probably not going to have a lot of returns uh, or final returns by the end of the night on November 3rd in some key races Uh, But at least we're winding towards a conclusion. And I sense, and I'll ask the panel actually about this, so much anxiety among people out there just waiting to see how this election will turn out. uh, No matter whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, the stakes are so incredibly high. Um, Just a quick program note. Uh, we will, as I've mentioned on the show before, the Political Rewind team will be uh, doing election coverage on Tuesday night starting at 7 p.m. NPR will bring you national news about the election and we'll cut into that several times each hour. And at 10 o'clock, we're going to do a special election night edition of Political Rewind. Jim Galloway, uh, one of the people who will be joining us for that. And we hope by that time to have some returns that we can talk about in a pretty substantive way. Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger insists that he believes that because of the way uh, counties' election uh, uh, offices are able to initially process absentee, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, mail-in votes, and yes, absentee votes, he thinks the count will go quicker here than many people expect, so we'll watch. The other quick program note is that on Tuesday and Wednesday, on election day and the day after, we will do a live show at 9, as we always do, but rather than a tape show, a rerun at 2, we're going to do live shows on Tuesday and Wednesday because we want to make sure that we're completely... Up to speed on all of the developments that are happening through happening throughout Election Day and the next day as votes continue to be counted. All right, with all that in mind, let's get right uh, to the panel. Jim Galloway is here with us. You know him; he's the lead political uh, writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Oversees the Political Insider blog at ajc.com. And Jim, are, are are we? Am I right? The anxiety level is just sky high. People want this over with
2: uh anxiety yes uh, The lead story in the wall street journal is is that it has removed firearms from its their display cases uh uh in in, in their stores across the walmart. country at walmart yes yeah, yeah, walmart, yeah is, walmart yeah and and uh uh you can still buy a gun if you ask for one but you're not going to be able to see them uh, and and they cite uh, incidents of civil unrest and fears of of such
1: Thanks, Jim. That really ratcheted up the tension. Good morning. <laughs> we're Good also morning. joined today. Yeah, we're also joined today by uh, political science professor, Karen Owen, who you know teaches at the University of West Georgia. Uh, Karen, thank you for being with us. Uh, it's great to have you here. What about you? Are you doing a check on your anxiety?
0: So, yes, I was going to say you just added, Jim, to more tension and anxiety that I have with those that news. And I would say, too, <laughs> that I'm ready to talk to the students about different topics in American government other than just the election. So I'm ready for some yeah. end results and moving on.
1: I get that. Uh, we're also joined by uh, uh, Sam Olin, former attorney general of the state of Georgia, and before that, the chairman of the Cobb County A commission, now a partner with Denton's, the world's largest law firm. Sam, how are you holding up as the election? I mean, you have certainly lived as a candidate through many election cycles yourself. You're not a candidate this time out, but it's got to be hitting you in some way emotionally too, I'll bet.
3: Well, first of all, good morning. Uh, You know, candidly, I don't have anxiety. Uh, I just want to wake up about a week from now, hopefully know the winner, and uh, let other issues uh, take the oxygen in the room rather than this election.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, Michael Thurman is also uh, with us again today, the CEO of DeKalb County, a uh, longtime uh, public servant, I think, is the best way to describe that. Uh, he was state labor uh, commissioner, legislator from Athens early in his political career, candidate for U.S. Senate democrat in 2010 um michael you are unopposed in your election next week nevertheless you're on the ballot yes yes and a little bit nervous about that
4: you know not of the above could overtake me but uh but you know to the uh <laughs> but you know looking forward to a second term but you know, it's not so much anxiety in my, you know, as it relates to me. because either way, no matter who wins the president, the uh, presidential race, uh, we'll have a job to do and people to serve, and we'll have to go about that business regardless. And so that's how I'm looking at it. Michael, and I'm a little. Go ahead, Bill.
1: Go, no, no, no. You finish, please.
4: No, I'm finished. I'm finished. So that's it. I, I, oh, I got okay. a job to do regardless.
1: Okay, I do want to ask you two quick questions about the county. Number one, how are you all doing there with storm cleanup? I know you said you're without power yourself and that today you're sitting in your car doing the show by (laughs) cell phone. So thank you very much under difficult circumstances for doing that. But how is the county in general at this point? Are all of your polling places open? Do they have power today?
4: Well, we have to check. I've not had a chance to check with the Board of Elections to see How much power was restored overnight? We had nearly uh, 100 streets and roads impacted by fallen trees, a large percentage of the county without power, including here in Smoke Rise in my neighborhood. So it had a tremendous impact. You know, we are a county that's uh, blessed with an abundance of trees and forests. But anytime there's wind or or rain, uh, we pay a price. So, consequently, we're soldiering on, though, and hopefully Georgia Power will get us back online soon.
1: All right. Well, um, good luck to you. Uh, I know, Jim Galloway, you're without power as well up there, um, or you don't have Internet at the very least uh, in Cobb County. So, Jim, let me ask you about some of the uh, latest in uh, early voting. The Secretary of State's office is now reporting that more than 3.6 million ballots have been cast in this state. And today, of course, is the final day of early voting. We expect there are going to be long lines of people uh, at the polling places today. 2.4 million have voted in person uh, 1.1 million have sent in their ballots and had them processed. They're, they're, they've been accepted, not counted yet. And uh, there's still 344,000 uh, mail-in ballots that are outstanding. Uh, so, Jim, there's no question we're going to see, by the time we get through uh, next uh, November 3rd, uh, by, by far the biggest number of voters we've ever seen in the state, Yes.
2: Right, right, uh Raffensberger is now saying that we could have six million votes cast in georgia uh, that, that I mean that's two million more than were cast in two thousand sixteen and it would if, if uh, uh, I'm, I'm not all that great at math right now, but that would bring turnout close to eighty percent, which, which uh, if you'll remember a few shows back, Audrey Haynes says we have to reach since nineteen
1: oh eight that's astonishing uh, sam olin's um You sent an an article on to – I think everybody who's on the show today got it. I certainly did. And and I want to ask you about it just for a moment um, because it relates to uh, the the early vote, especially uh, mail-in ballots. Uh, But just to put it in a larger perspective, nationally, if you look at the U.S. Voter Project numbers on early voting, 82 million Americans have already voted early. 28 million of them have voted in person, but 53 million have been voting by mail. It's a reverse of Georgia. Georgia's had more in-person than mail-in ballots. Uh, but you, you sent on to us an article from a, uh, an interview with a Georgia State professor talking about the future is in mail-in ballots um, and what the impact can be if that's, if that's the case. Yes. Talk about why that article struck you.
3: Well, I mean, you know, clearly there's places on the West Coast, like Oregon, that have been doing mail-in exclusive voting for years. It has gone smoothly. There haven't been any issues, increased fraud, etc. cetera. And uh, in many ways, uh, it, it, it changes the whole dynamic because, you know, for instance, uh, you wouldn't be watching TV now watching one political disgusting ad after another you would have already put your ballot in the mail or you won't be counted. The other thing about the article was it showed nationally about a 5 to 10% increase in overall voting by making it accessible for um, mail-in. As you noted, it's interesting in our state, about a third of the votes so far have been by mail, two-thirds still in person. Clearly, that number is going to go higher, so it may go more to that 20 to 25 percent range. But I mean, frankly, I'm in that category. My wife and I voted weeks ago. It's just easier. I mean, I I had no interest in standing in a line for for a long time, uh, irrespective of COVID, but COVID makes it worse. So I think from my perspective, it doesn't matter which party you are, the greater the turnout, the greater the democracy works. So as Jim stated, if we're looking at an 80% turnout, that's fantastic.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sean Ritchie is the professor who uh, has studied the mail-in voting. He points out that in 2024, California will do all of its voting uh, by mail and uh, that we expect that at the same time, 20% of the population are going to live in states that do entirely vote by mail. And and just for another minute on this subject, uh, Karen, it strikes me that uh, as the election, if the election unfolds uh, uh, well, if we don't have any tremendous uh, problems, um, with a Donald Trump uh, not having to worry about either uh, reelection to a third term uh if he wins reelection but with him out of out of the way in that sense um maybe there won't be this attack on mail-in voting and it will start to become a much more broadly accepted way to vote uh by all both parties
0: i think that's a, a correct statement you will hear probably more conversations because it does allow for accessibility And the convenience for people to vote, particularly those who are young and working, they can get those ballots ahead of time, fill them out, and turn them in. It will change, though, the conversation the parties have about campaigning. And that's, I think, what Sam was alluding to is that people will be casting ballots perhaps a month out. And so they won't be turning in. And flyers and advertisements the week before kind of Election Day won't have the same impact that they once had.
1: Okay, um, Michael, l- let me uh, turn you now back to uh, the fact that we're three days uh, before uh, voting really gets uh, gets underway on election day here in Georgia when polls open at 7 o'clock. Um, it, it, we've been trying to read the tea leaves on these early votes and where they're coming from and whether it is Democrats who are voting, early Republicans. And uh, yesterday, uh, David Ralston, the speaker, was on the show, and he pointed out that the reality is that early votes are coming in in big numbers from red counties in the state, too, that we shouldn't presume that this large turnout is turning out for Democratic candidates. What's your take on that, Michael?
4: I think oh, he's absolutely right. If you look at the numbers, there's been a significant turnout in the northern uh, outer suburbs and outer suburbs of the, uh of Georgia. And you're seeing a major turnout in red counties as well as blue. One of the things that I'm concerned about and I've been trying to drill down to understand is who is actually voting early. If these are high propensity voters who are voting early, that may or may not result in a greater turnout. It's just that people who were going to vote are just exercising their franchise at an earlier point in the process. The key is to look at new voters and whether or not they are coming in and actually casting a ballot. And ultimately, that, I think, will determine who actually succeeds on Election Day. It's not just that because you got the corona effect. It's why people rush to food markets uh, at the beginning of the virus. People who are suffering high anxiety tend not to want to wait, even to be able to wait— because of fear, they may not be able to either purchase the bread and, in this case, actually cast the vote because of the pandemic.
1: Jim, you reported on that in the jolt just yesterday, the fact that you're seeing uh, turnout uh, in, uh, in red uh, areas of the state as well as blue. And we shouldn't take anything for granted in terms of the conventional wisdom that it's Democrats who turn out early.
2: Well, uh, yes, you're seeing in, in, in places like Dawson County, uh, up up in North Georgia, you're you are seeing if you, if you if you go to GeorgiaVotes.com, uh, uh, you'll you'll be seeing you'll see that uh, quite a few uh, uh, the counties are are well above the the hundred percent mark uh, over 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 the 2016 balloting, but. I'm I'm taking a look at at house districts we, we you, you spoke about uh, uh, speaker Ralston, and and in one of the kind of uh, and and yesterday showed uh drilled down on on how one of the, the the more important races is for control of the state house but if you I'm I'm looking right now I'm I'm looking at house district 50 it's uh it's occupied by Angelica Kauchur in uh in North Fulton and it's up at 135% of 2016 vote of the 2016 vote and and right next to her very close by is uh, is uh, house district 47 which was which is occupied by jan jones the speaker pro 10 and the highest ranking woman in the house she's a republican and and her 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 voters are are already at 119% over so yeah you see a lot of rural counties at about the hundred percent mark but the super layer I think is 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 in suburban Atlanta
1: um I think it's right we did spend a good amount of time on yesterday's show talking about legislative races uh, David Ralston uh, has been on a tour of the state uh, uh, out there stumping for Republicans Um Karen, uh, it it is really interesting, and Galloway made the point in his writing yesterday, we do tend to uh, talk about the big races, the presidential race, the U.S. Senate races, congressional races, and we forget sometimes about just how important these legislative races are. Uh, Democrats need to pick up 16 seats to win control of the state house and and this becomes even more crucial this year than ever because we're in the end of a census period and reapportionment will uh, get underway in the next uh, year. So talk a little bit about uh, how you see the battle for the House shaping up and, and the Im- impact, what it means.
0: So you're absolutely correct. So we do talk a lot about the national races or those that send to the federal office, but the state House races and state Senate races have a significant impact on the state. And and you're right, redistricting will come up next year, and if the Democrats are able to flip, the state house, and that makes redistricting even much more of a compromise because you have to work within uh, the Democrats and then a Republican governor. And interesting, you know, Jim's article where he focused in on the state house races, he identified 21 races. I believe that's the correct number, what he was kind of watching. And 14 of those races involve a woman matched up against another woman. And so if we actually look at the General Assembly right now, the Democratic Party in the state of Georgia is um, half of the membership of that caucus is women. And so some of these slips will come if some women can actually slip some of these Republican districts. And I think we kind of need to pay attention to that because that will also shape the dynamics of governing if the Democrats control the House uh, in Georgia for 2021-2022.
1: Sam, one of the concerns, of course, for d- Democrats is if they come close, if they don't pick up 16, but if they pick up, say, 10, uh, when redistricting happens with Republicans in control of drawing the lines completely, the gains that Democrats may have made in sheer numbers can be uh, really, really reversed by maps that, uh, disf- uh, 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 that uh, disfavors them for reelection, yes?
3: Absolutely. Just, you know, I presume the Republicans would do uh, what works best for them, just as Democrats have historically done the same in Georgia and throughout the country. Uh, I expect that the Democrats will gain some seats. Uh, I don't think it will be close to 10. Uh, I don't think uh, the House majority is in danger of flipping this time. Uh, nor is the Senate in danger of flipping. I think the real uh, test, in many ways, will be two years from now when we have a, a governor's election on the top of the ticket. Clearly, uh, everyone's going to be looking at those at those votes election night. In particular, the women Republican incumbents. You know, whether it's a Jan Jones, a Sharon Cooper, a Kay Kilpatrick uh, all of those uh, seats are going to be looked at closely but you know candidly there's some seats near Jans uh, elsewhere in North Georgia excuse me in in North Bolton that are going to be looked at closely Uh, John Albers um, for one I mean it was closer last time than people expected so I think everyone's going to be be looking uh, around the whole metro area Uh, I think one of the things that will be very interesting is um, if Georgia is an outlier as compared to the nation with regard to suburban women, the early polling seems to show that Georgia is an outlier and that the Republicans are keeping a greater percentage of that female vote than maybe elsewhere in our country. So, you know, from an academician's perspective, this is going to be
4: fascinating, Bill, can I... Michael, um, yeah, weigh in. Well, the Democrats, when you really think about it uh, writ large, of course the goal is to win the majority. But even if, as Sam stated, they pick up 10 seats with with the Speaker facing opposition, and Jim is going to love this when he gets under the Gold Dome in January, the Democrats may determine who the Speaker is between the two Republican contestants. Because they'll be in a position to decide whether Speaker Ralston returns or whether his challenger defeats him, even if they don't earn a majority of the seats.
1: Uh, Jim uh, Michael makes a great point. Uh, it, it, the speaker's election does become much more interesting if, well, if it, the, it, even if Democrats don't take majority control.
2: Yeah, yeah, I've got a line in the Sunday column that says "close only counts in horseshoes, hand grenades, and legislative power grabs." <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, uh, and, and, and here, here's, here's a couple of things. Number one, uh, since 2000, we've had uh, we've had control, uh, control of 15 chambers in state government uh, end up in ties. Uh, I think the, 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 in, in it was t- in 2011, it was it was the Virginia Senate. 2002, it was the North Carolina House. And in those cases, you always have to kind of develop a power-sharing agreement. And so, 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 so to Karen's point, yeah, you could see some the ascendancy of 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 some democratic policies that come with that, which would be extremely interesting, I
1: think. We're going to watch the legislative races very closely. I thought one thing, Jim, that's it's interesting is we know that. Uh, Republicans are really targeting uh, the, the min- minority leader in the House, uh, uh, Bob Hamill. He, he's, he's under heavy pressure, and they've dumped a million dollars into uh, getting him uh, out of the legislature. Mary Margaret Oliver on the show last week said, what the heck can you do with a million dollars in one legislative race in middle Georgia? It seems a little excessive, but it does make the point they're really after him uh especially jim
2: yeah yeah i i talked I talk to, to to mr trammell uh, a couple days ago and asked him about this uh and and uh he, he uh, you know the apparent intent of all this spending was to keep the leader of the democratic caucus kind of pinned down in his own district uh uh yeah. so that he couldn't organize uh uh, uh uh the the democratic response but but he reminded me that we are in a pandemic and all organizing now is done by Zoom of course so 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 it's uh, so the 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 idea of keeping him physically in one place is 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 kind of uh, uh, outdated however however he is in luthersville in rural georgia and uh, their internet situation is pretty bad he says the, he can't he can't direct the democratic caucus from home he has to go to his office which is about a mile away <laughs>
1: Okay, let's do this. Uh, We'll leave Bob Trammell uh, and the Republicans to fight it out in uh, in Luthersville. Take a quick break and be back with more on Political Rewind.
3: Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics
2: that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon.
1: Dr. Karen Owen of the University of West Georgia, Michael Thurman, CEO of DeKalb County, Sam Olin's, former Attorney General of the state of Georgia, Jim Galloway, on this final Friday before Election Day here on Political Rewind. Uh, by the way, I don't say it enough, but when I mentioned this on Monday, uh, we suddenly got some good traffic, so let me do it again. You can follow us on Twitter uh, at PoliticsGPB. Um, And I hope you do. Uh, We always like the interaction that we get with people who respond to what we're talking about. Or, you know, I'd also love to have you follow me personally. Um, My handle is Nigut, N-I-G-U-T, B, uh, Nigut B. So uh, we'd love to have you uh, following us on uh, Twitter. Um, Let's move on. Uh, Sam, because because you are the Republican on the panel today— let me ask you about Larry Sabato's Crystal Ball. We we've talked about Sabato a number of times on the show. He is considered one of the more reputable, uh, one of the smarter political prognosticators, and he has now moved both Senate races, which had started out as likely Republican, leans Republican. They moved. Uh, progressively in the opposite direction. And now on the verge of, the, of Election Day itself, uh, Sabato has both Senate races as toss-ups. Do you think that's correct? And uh, how is that happening? So my my guess is that um, he
3: may very well be correct. I think there's an outside chance that Senator Perdue will win without a runoff, but I think the runoff uh, certainly is, is likely due to the barrage of TV ads. Uh, that's clearly got to be one of the most negative overall races, um, in the country. Um, it makes no difference what time you're watching on TV. The ads against the two candidates, forget the Libertarian, are just outrageous. Um, uh, I think the AJC or, or maybe Jim in particular referenced, there were going to be over $200 million in, in TV ads for this election. Um, so it would not surprise me. Um, the, the, the interesting issue for political, uh, um, what would be the appropriate term, people that have it in their blood and can't get rid of it. Um, so Kelly Leffler would still be senator on January 3. David Perdue would not be on January 3 if they both have runoffs. You'd have a, a period until the state certified the election results uh, for the Perdue uh, Ossoff race to be uh, certified and sworn in. So that's one of the, the interesting things with the beginning of the next uh, congressional session. Um, I, I still continue to think that um, Senator Perdue will eke it out. But it would be no surprise at all if they both have runoffs.
1: Michael, we've seen uh, Purdue and Ossoff in two debates uh, uh, in this cycle, um, one by the Atlanta Press Club a couple weeks ago, and then just this week, a debate in Savannah. And, and I have to say, Michael, uh, Ossoff gave as good as he got in both of those debates and uh, showed a confidence uh, that I thought was Really fascinating. He is basically, I mean, he ran that special election against Karen Handel, uh, but he seemed very confident in the way he went after David Perdue. It's going to be interesting to see uh, how that race unfolds. What are you what are you thinking there, uh, Michael? And do you imagine, Sam says he thinks maybe David Perdue can eke out a victory without a runoff. Shane Hazel's at 2% right now. Do you think it's possible Ossoff could do that?
4: Well, absolutely. What we're really uh, witnessing is the uh, maturation of a young political uh, leader-slash-candidate in John Osso. Uh He's much more mature and confident, as you just stated, and more convicted in terms of his positions. And uh, so that's what happens with politicians, just like athletes and anyone else. Over time, you become more experienced and more confident and more clear-eyed in terms of what your principles and your beliefs are. And absolutely, he could win it. It's going to be about uh, not just the base turnout, uh, turnout, but also how well he can uh, penetrate with moderate and conservative voters. I happen to believe that if you look at the early turnout statistics and uh, what you're going to see among the base, particularly African-American voters, is a turnout similar to 2016 not 2008, but 2016, what's going to be different and what is different in Georgia, and you talked about Bob Trammell in rural Georgia, is more white voters uh, embracing Joe Biden, and that's going to impact all the way down the ticket and ultimately may result in a different outcome.
1: Yeah, I want to talk in just a minute about the new Monmouth poll, which, uh, in fact, uh, it talks about wh- where they think white voters are headed in this election. We'll do that in just a minute. But before we do, Karen, um, your take on the Asof uh, purdue race.
0: So I think one of the key factors is the amount of money we are seeing poured in, not only from the candidate standpoint, but from national outside organizations that want to have an impact. And so... If we look at the race, it is really tight. I am amazed um, that I've seen so much discussion of name-calling and negativity between the two candidates. And then when you do see the candidates together, they seem very frustrated, exasperated at one another, um, really kind of going after one another, which is just a a new step here in politics. One point, though, I am watching, and, and Mike, you mentioned this, about voters in the state turning out you know, the base gets turned out, but how willing will some white voters be to select Biden at the top of the ticket, but then put a check in the Senate and then maybe go ahead and go back to Purdue so that there is a little bit of divided government. We do know voters have been sometimes savvy with that so that they keep the checks and the accountability at the federal level. It's a a possibility, but likelihood that these are runoffs are great. Yes, I would say so.
1: Um, Jim, uh, just the fact that we're talking about uh, two Senate races where Democrats might have the potential to win in these final hours, uh, the fact that Donald Trump, who we will talk about this a little, is coming back to Georgia on Sunday evening, uh, it tells you everything you need to know about the, the, the wave that is finally hitting the state. Whether it, which has been talked about for years, whether this is the year that it happens is cer- certainly not clear at this moment. But there's no question that if you're a Republican in this state and you think beyond 2020, you've got to figure out what the heck you do to stop the Democratic advances that are coming at them.
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I think Sam's earlier point that that that. Uh, really, the true test is is 2022. I think that's that's right. But I mean, you could you could see a blue wave that gets up to Republican knees and maybe their chest. I don't know if it's going to get up to their ears. Uh, uh, it is. It's. Uh, but but I would point out I I would point out that that you've got uh, of course Trump's visit here on Sunday in Rome in in just a a highly highly Republican place. Uh, uh, really says a lot about where the camp his campaign is where Republicans are in Georgia but uh, as as we've mentioned in previous shows uh you know it's the fact that David Perdue in these polls that we're seeing is not polling ahead of Donald Trump that should be re- ringing all sorts of alarm bells for Republicans because because it it it, it it's it, it 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 your your fortunes are tied directly to the White House
1: yeah i it, 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 you know, it's interesting. I was going to make this point when we talked, Jim, about the legislative races. Um, everybody's fortunes are tied to the White House right now, all the way down the ticket. I mean, even the legisl- you cannot remove Donald Trump even from a state House race in some far corner of the state of Georgia. It's all nationalized, Jim.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, and, and, and look, the Democrats are praying for, uh, to Karen's point earlier, Democrats are praying for, for, for just a deluge of straight-ticket voters who don't wander away after voting for Biden and keep going straight down the Democratic uh, ticket. Uh, I, when I talked to David Ralston the, the, uh, 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 earlier this week, uh, he, said that was, he, he conceded that was the key, that they have to persuade a great number of people who don't like Donald Trump that 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 Republicans still represent their values in the State House. And so he wants them to switch back to the Republican side after they vote against Trump.
1: All right, let's talk just a bit about the presidential race in Georgia. Um, uh, Karen, let me start with you. Um, the fact that Trump is coming back here uh, tells us that the state really is in play. That he can't ignore Georgia, even in the last couple of days, he should be able to skip Georgia altogether, as most presidential candidates have done for uh, any number of, of, of campaigns uh, in in the last uh, two decades here. Last time a Democrat won the state, 1992, when Bill Clinton did, it, and then Clinton couldn't even win it again in his reelection campaign in '96. So Trump should be able to knock, you know put a checklist next to Georgia and go back to Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan. He can't afford uh, to do it, Karen. And if the, Mount, the Monmouth University poll uh, is any indication, he has good reason to be a little nervous. Monmouth shows Biden now, for the first time, with an outside-the-margin-of-error lead over President Trump in uh, Georgia. Galloway, am I wrong? Is it not outside the 50 no, no, to 45 not, is one of yeah, the numbers about, they give us?
2: But it's an MOE of, of about 4%, so it's not quite, quite, uh, not quite. It's not quite outside. Okay.
1: okay, thank you for that. Nevertheless, they show him uh, in one calculation as as having a four to five point lead over Trump in the election. And this this poll is from beginning of the week. Karen?
0: Yes. And I was going to say uh, this poll, I would I would give a little bit of caution to as it is uh, asking registered voters. It hasn't looked at likely voters, but it does have Biden up. I think the president is back in Georgia, which, you know, he should have been able. He didn't come in 2016, but he's having to come now because it is not a sure fight here in Georgia. Um, Interesting in this poll, and I would again, like I said, I would caution is that Further down in the cross tabs, you will see that of the five hundred and four registered voters asked it asked the question about how much they've been contacted by a political campaign. And almost 30% said that they had not been contacted by any political campaign or any type of pollster or other than this, but other you know types of political participation, which says to me that those were not high salient likely voters anyway, because the campaigns aren't reaching them. I think that's kind of interesting to look at here because who knows if the propensity for those people to turn out to vote is there. But you're right. At the beginning of this, you asked about, you know, Trump coming back. Trump's coming back because he really needs to make sure that voters turn out. And turnout is the biggest thing right now for Georgia.
1: Uh, Michael, uh, the interesting thing about uh, this poll is that it gives Biden 31 percent Of the white vote in Georgia, that's a higher percentage of white votes for a Democrat than we've seen in any of the other polling that's been done in the state, despite the fact the other polls show it as uh, basically a tie going forward. It also, I think, shows that uh, Trump picks up uh, double digits in terms of African-American men, something like 11 points. How do you weigh all that out, Michael?
4: Well, following up on what Professor Owen said, think about it. Trump is doing slightly better with African-Americans. Uh, president Trump is doing better with Hispanic and Latino. But most polls now still have Biden either even or slightly ahead. That's because of something I've been seeing from day one. White voters in Georgia and really across this nation will determine who the next president of the United States will be. What Joe Biden has done, a, a brilliant tactical shift, uh, what Democrats, I think, we need to listen and see and learn from it. You can't really just run a campaign based on demographic shifts or uh, growth of uh, people of color uh, in the population or in the voting population. Obviously, you turn out your base. But what Biden has done is that's why he was in Warm Springs uh, this week or was it last week? I can't keep up. This week, he's reaching out and basically reconfiguring The Democratic coalition, where it looks more like it looked uh, post-Civil Rights Act in 1965 than it looked uh, post-2010. What is happening is he is appealing not just to college-educated whites. He's also appealing to non-college-educated working people, and particularly whites who've been either impacted directly or indirectly by the coronavirus. This virus will change everything about this nation It's going to reconfigure uh, political coalitions. It's going to change, as Sam talked about earlier, how we vote. And it's going to change. It's like 9-11 and compare how we used to get on a plane and fly to any destination and how 9-11 changed it. Coronavirus is fundamentally changing America politically and otherwise. And Biden has strategically, I call it the Corona Coalition. He's forming a Corona Coalition Republican, Democrats, white backs, Latino, people who either directly or indirectly who've been impacted either through health or economic by the coronavirus.
1: Sam, weigh in on this.
4: So, you know, it,
3: it's interesting. I was just thinking yesterday that um, I think the election is unclear today as it was four years ago. Uh, I certainly agree with uh with Mike's comments about, uh, the white African-American and Hispanic votes. But I think at the end of the day, there are a lot of Trump voters that will not acknowledge it until they're, they're within the confines of the voting machine. And when you look at how in general, in those critical States for both parties, those swing States, They're now pretty much all within the margin of error. I don't think we'll frankly know who the next president is until maybe the end of next week. I mean, I candidly think in states like Pennsylvania, uh, Wisconsin, um, we're not going to know because there's that shift that just doesn't show up in polls. People don't want to admit in some cases, that they're going to vote for the president. Um, So it's actually very interesting to me. As much as everyone wanted to view 2020 differently because Donald Trump is now the incumbent as compared to an open presidential race, I'm beginning to think it's more and more like 2016.
1: So, um, Jim, we got to take a break, but let me give you the last word on this. Uh, b- 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 building on what Sam just said, um, and again saying that Democrats for quite some time have had great hopes about finally flipping uh, Georgia. Um, what we see over and over again is uh, promising uh, uh, data for Democrats, and then at the last minute, Republicans come home, get out there, cast their ballots, and win. Elections, so, so Sam sees twenty sixteen as the example of that, but twenty twenty could be the beginning of a new era.
2: Yeah, well, uh, I I, I kind of like uh, uh, Michael's phrasing about a, the coronavirus alliance uh, that's Biden put together, but but I but I I will also say Sam, Sam does have a point, especially when it comes to to just the, the national view. You've got you've got uh, some democratic worries developing up in michigan and up in wisconsin surrounding i think it was wisconsin and not minnesota uh surrounding the senate races there republicans say that they, there's a path for them to retain control of the senate uh by 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 flipping by by flipping the 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 michigan seat and and, and the other seat and that kind of gets to sam's point about Us not knowing precisely and exactly where these little pockets of the electorate are going.
1: And it's going to make election night all the more interesting. So uh, let's do this. Let's get our final break of the show out of the way and come back with uh, time to do just a little more on today's political rewind. Back on Political Rewind, Jim Galloway, just a quick note about uh, the other Senate race, Senate race number two. Uh, the polling continues to show that uh, Raphael Warnock is growing the Democrat, the leading Democrat in that contest in, in his um, uh, approval, in, in people wanting to vote for him. Whereas Kelly Leffler and Doug Collins continue to duke it out uh, between them and uh, that dynamic Uh, will lead to a runoff. And it's going to be, Jim, how do you evaluate at this point, this back and forth between Leffler and uh, Collins? You'd be crazy to try to make a guess as to which of them is going to win the Republican, what is essentially a Republican primary.
2: Well, I, look, I, I would I would say what this does is it's, it it pits uh 23 million dollars, which is what she's poured into the, into her own race, and support from the governor, against a uh, uh, a network of of, of uh, state house members led by David Ralston, who are all who most of whom are, are, are backing Doug Collins. Uh, so it's a it's a, it's 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 an interesting dynamic here that's going to have repercussions uh, no matter who I, I mean no matter who wins. My my question is you know uh, the last time this happened was was the Sam Nunn uh, race uh, Sam Nunn David Gambrell in '72 and and and, Repub- and and Democrats at that time were able to 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 really quickly reunite. So that they could keep the Republican Fletcher Thompson from from taking that that Senate seat, uh, and the question now is is this this race has gotten so bitter, I'm I'm just I'm just wondering if if Republicans will be able to reunite reunite in time for a January five runoff, when uh, when Raphael Warnock, uh, backed by just huge amounts of of national money, is is going to be kind of the front runner.
1: Um, Sam, uh, we've talked on the show a number of times about the fact that Raphael Warnock, while while uh, Leffler and Collins are uh, attacking each other, has been left in the clear to run every positive spot that he has. And there are a lot of people who have been letting me know how much they like his commercials uh, at this point because they're positive, they're uplifting. Uh, but Democrats, but, but Republicans are going to have uh, between. Uh, November 3rd and January 5th, a long time to bring out the big guns that that they've been gathering in terms of things that they'll say Warnock uh, supported as a pastor, sermons he gave. I mean, there's plenty of time for that. This isn't a three-week runoff as we used to see in the state, right, Sam? Yeah, we now have
3: a nine-week runoff in large part based on, uh, I think it's Muvaca or something like that, a, a federal statute that's been around for a long time to, to frankly, help our military to assure that they have the right to vote. Nine weeks is a lifetime. So while I agree with Jim that there's going to be a lot of heartburn, um, there's plenty of time for the uh, ice to melt and for uh, a united uh, attack. There's also time if the president were to win to uh, promptly tell uh, Doug if he comes in third that he has a job in the next administration, which would help that discussion. Um, and as Jim stated at the end, let's face it, uh, while I personally like Reverend Warnock and I think he is uh, an outstanding preacher and an, uh, and an outstanding Georgian, I think it's fair to say that he's more liberal than the overall state. So there are plenty of policy discussions for them to have in that nine week period. Uh, And at the moment, as you stated, there is no such discussion because he's skating uh, with no opposition until the runoff.
1: Hey, Michael, uh, you were talking about the coalition that you think Biden is being uh, is building in a very smart way. Uh, that relies on more white voters, and you say Biden will win if he wins because of white, white voters. Uh, Raphael Warnock is not polling well among white voters right now. I don't know, is that a function of the fact that right now, given a choice between two Republicans and the Democrat, they naturally tend to be uh, more likely to vote for a Republican? Can he win some of them over to his side? What's your take on that? Well, he's a very smart
4: person, and has shown uh, unique political skills, he'll have time to hopefully build what would look like a general election campaign. Uh, as was stated earlier, really, basically he's in the Democratic primary as well as the Republicans. And in primaries, you run either left or right. Uh, and so you've seen the Republicans run to the right. Uh, I like Jim's analysis of uh, the 23 million plus the House uh, uh, versus uh, House Network. I think Doug Collins has the advantage uh, in that particular scenario. Uh, having been a member of the House, it reminds me of uh, Murphy and with Speaker Ralston, Those networks are phenomenal. When I was running statewide, I can't tell you how valuable it was, and they were Democrats then. If you can go to Swainsboro and sit in Butch Parish's uh, drugstore on a Saturday afternoon, uh, Jack Hill, the late Jack Hill, I used to go to his uh, grocery store down in Reedsville and spend an entire Saturday. That's what that network would do for you, particularly in, in rural Georgia, which is how and why I think at the end of the day, Doug Collins would win uh, what he, what's in effect the Republican primary.
1: Oh, Karen. When Michael Thurman conjures up the image of Thomas B. Murphy, the former Democratic Speaker of the House, I'm sure that gives you a little thrill. (laughs) It
0: did, as I uh, direct this center at the University of West Georgia, absolutely. And it does bring up absolutely every point of how Speaker Murphy used to get his network out. And when he got his weight behind a candidate, that candidate typically won. And I think that there is an advantage Collins has right now. Um, I think the interesting piece of this runoff will be how many voters come back to vote. Republicans typically have that advantage to turn out their voters back in a runoff. And I've seen some polls recently asking likely voters and registered voters about this race. And, it's, you know, 7 8% are saying they just won't vote again. And so the messaging has to come back that you, you need to turn back out.
1: So um, as we come to the end of today's show, it, what's striking, Jim, is with all, the final day of voting, which is what I've now realized we've got to refer to it as next Tuesday, November 3rd approaches. So many races in this state are up for grabs in a way we haven't seen for many, many years. Jim, it's going to be a very exciting week next week.
2: Right, right, and I would just you know urge everybody just to have a little patience. Uh, I think I think you're, uh, these races, these down ticket races that we've been talking about, they're not going to be decided on that uh, on Tuesday night either. We're going to be, be we're going to be seeing a whole lot of counting going on into Wednesday and Thursday. So just kind of just take a deep breath and and <laughs> uh, you know uh, about, uh, think of Doris Day, que sera.
1: Sarah. Right. <laughs> <All> right. <laughs> Jim Galloway gets the last word. You'll be back with me on Monday show. Uh, Karen Owens, Sam Oldens, Michael Thurman, thank you all so much for a great conversation today. I appreciate your being here. Y'all have a wonderful election day next week. Um, we'll be back on Monday. I'm Bill Nygut. Until I see you again, take care. Stay healthy. Wear a mask. Get a flu shot. See y'all next week.